Thanks, Duane. <coughs> Thanks for sharing that. Um, yeah, that part of your, your story and your life. Um, let's, let's just open up here in a, in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you this Sunday morning knowing that you hear every word that's on our hearts. God, you know the words that are on our hearts before they're even on our hearts. And so we acknowledge your presence here. We acknowledge you with us. And we just pray now for each and every individual that they would be open and receptive to your word and what it is that you have to share with us today. And we can do all this. We can ask all this. We, we can request all of this because of what your son did for us on the cross. And so it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. So we are talking about trials today. Um, but before we talk about trials today, I want to talk about some happy things. So let's talk about happy things. Um, so this has actually been a really fun season for me. In June, we've had a lot going on. My parents came into town um, from Hawaii. They've been out for a few weeks. They left just last Monday. Uh, but that was really exciting for me. And while they were here, we got to go to a Dodger game last Sunday where the Dodgers beat the Giants 10 to 2. Just saying. It was really exciting. Happy Father's Day. Um, so that was really exciting. Um, and, and something else happened that week, too. We actually, um, my family and several other families from Harvest got to go to um, several graduate. Well, I went to several graduations. They went to one graduation. I got to join a number of them at the Woodbridge um, High School graduation. And that was just a surreal moment for me because what I got to see there were a number of our youth standing up there that when I started here as youth director, it's actually six years ago, so they were all in seventh grade. They just started um, youth group, and so they were kind of my first group. And now here they are, standing up there proudly, wearing their cap and gown, receiving their diploma. Um, yeah, it just, it just really spoke to me in that moment of just what a celebratory moment that was, how joyful that was. Um, and, you know, just before they began handing out the diplomas, a voice through the microphone gave an all-too-familiar line uh, that most of us have heard before. You know, it's that line when they say, please hold your applause before all of the graduates have received their diplomas. Yeah, right. I mean, come on, right? That's like the moment to celebrate. And so it was great because I got to experience something in that moment when, when every one of our, you know, four youth that goes to Woodbridge stood up and got their diploma. Um, I, I experienced a moment when all of us as a group at Harvest just completely broke the silent rule, you know, and just cheered with everything we had for our students. I got to experience a moment, and that moment was this experience of just experiencing joy together, to experience joy with one another. And, and I realized something in that moment, and as I've been reflecting, is that it's so natural for us to experience joy together as we go through life. It just draws us in together. And this moment, this, this time here that we have where we talk about trials, it's, it's actually quite the opposite, right? As we go through a trial together, it actually... Um, creates almost a sense of isolation, that when we're going through something hard, we kind of just want to curl up. We don't want to bring others into it. And, and, and I get that, because I experience that all the time, um, wanting to bring our, our trials to ourselves. And, and so that's what we're going to kind of look at today, is this concept of trials. We all experience trials in different ways, in different capacities, in different life stages. Some of us experience trials in our disagreements within our marriage relationship. Some of us experience trials in our um, potential loneliness if we're single, um, especially being in a culture that idolizes romance. 
Some of us experience trials um, such as our youth growing up in the 21st century, being inundated with media, with technology, with all these different sources, um, telling them who they are to be in. Um, And then for those, our recent grads and those that are our young adults, they can experience challenges as they become adults, entering into the world on their own, um, experiencing freedom for the first time. And so so with that, that's going to be our theme for today, is talking about this idea of trials. And particularly, we're going to ask one question and seek to answer that question. And so our question we're going to ask today is, how can we persevere through our trials? How do we endure the painful challenges of life? That's going to be our big question for the day. And so we're going to look a little bit at the, um, the church in, in Thessalonica. And that's the series we're going through throughout the summer. Is We're going through First and Second Thessalonians. And so just to give a quick background on the church in um, Thessalonica, that's where they're from, is a city called Thessalonica. This, this city actually, um, back in first century, was the capital of Macedonia. And it's actually its largest city. And it's significant because while most of the ancient cities around it have long since been destroyed, the city's significance is made evident to this day, not only because it still exists, but because it also is currently the second largest city in Greece. And so 2,000 years ago, God called a man named Paul to share the gospel with this particular city. And here we are now, reading, taking in on that experience, on that moment, as we read through the letter of Thessalonians. And so with that said, could you open your Bibles with me, if you haven't already, to 1 Thessalonians. And there are Bibles along the side. If you need one, you can grab one or pass it down to somebody, um, down the middle aisle. We're going to be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. So we're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, starting at verse 1, and, and today as we look at our passage, seeking to know how we can persevere through our trials, let's start by asking the first of our three questions, how do trials affect us? So just kind of setting out a blanket foundation for this talk of trials, specifically how do trials affect us, particularly in regards to our faith? How do trials affect us in regards to our faith? And so we're going to see here in our first point, and if you have your bulletin notes, this is, this is the, uh, the first line there, is that trials work hard to keep us from persevering. That is, trials seek to discourage our faith in Christ. So follow along here as we start off in verse 1, when Paul says to the Thessalonians, So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy who is our brother and co-worker in God's service in spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith, so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. For you know quite well that we are destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. And it turned out that way, as you well know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you and that your labors might have been in vain. And so Paul is writing this letter to the Thessalonians knowing that they're going through a difficult time. He's writing this letter as if you and I were writing a letter or sending an email to a close friend or family member that's going through a trial in their life. He's just writing in saying, how are you doing? I want to check in on you. I want to see how you're doing. In fact, he went to the extent of sending Timothy, his companion, to the Thessalonians to check in on them himself. And so what was the trial that the Thessalonians were going through? It says, you don't have to turn there, but in the previous chapter it says in Thessalonians 2.14 that they were suffering from their own people. 
And that means that's a reference to the, um, the Jews that were living there at that time. There were Jews that were persecuting the Thessalonians. Um, and, and they were experiencing persecution on a, on a daily basis there. And, and I find it interesting to see what Paul emphasized here. If you look back at verse 5, notice how he, uh, how he cares for the Thessalonians in this. He says, We sent Timothy, who's our brother and co-worker in God's service in spreading the gospel, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. You see, Paul knew that they needed to be strengthened and encouraged in the trial that they were going through. He knew that if they were going to persevere in their faith, that they needed to have somebody to come along and support them and check in on them. And that's very much how it is for us today. We try to go through trials alone. And yet we need someone to come and check on us. We need to be with others in our trials. And so we talked a few, just briefly earlier about different ways that we experience trials, marriage, singleness, um, for our youth, for our young adults. And so we'll just kind of go through those different scenarios and see um, how we experience trials. Starting with marriage, uh, a number of our couples here at Harvest got to experience a few weeks ago um, that weekend to remember conference. It's a marriage conference put on by Family Life. Um, they do a phenomenal job of encouraging and empowering families and marriages um, throughout the country and even through the world. And we got to experience in that time the reality that marriage does, in fact, bring trials. If you're married, you know that lots of stuff can come up in a marriage with two different people, two different hearts coming together as one. We experience trials through finances. We, ex- we experience trials in our marriage through extended families. We experience trials through children. Uh, we experience trials through extended families. We experience it through cultural differences. We experience trials through extended families. We, I'm just kidding, sorry. My mother-in-law is here. I just had to throw that out there for her. I love you, May. Um, no, we experience trials in all different ways in our marriages. Um, and, and it's interesting because for all of us that have been married, we say on our wedding day something along the lines of to have and to hold for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health, till death do us part. We make this commitment to one another, and yet, unfortunately, in our culture, we see that the rate is somewhere around half of divorce. Half of the marriages end up in separating and in divorcing. And this is hard. This is the, this is the reality of our culture. I just last night read an email from the Family Life president, um, Dennis Rainey, who, if, if those of you who received it, he talks about what just changed in our, um, in our judicial system in, in allowing gay marriages um, to be now recognized nationwide. And that was a big hit to the, the, the foundation of marriage within our culture. And so it's that much more we have to be on guard in our marriages regarding trials in our marriages. Because if we allow these trials in our marriage to seep in and, and don't deal with them, then we get to a point where we become lazy in our marriages, where we give up loving the other person, where we experience apathy towards the other person, or eventually we start to pursue love in other places. And so marriages can be one of the greatest trials in our culture today. We also talk about singles, and and being single in our culture particularly shares a ton of trials with it. Um, Whether someone's single by choice, uh, or maybe they haven't found that special someone yet, um, perhaps they've gone through something really painful, like a, a death of a spouse um, or divorce. I have a number of um, friends who are single who actually have chosen to be single or stay single, and I have the utmost respect for them. And I think our culture doesn't honor single people enough, recognizing that that's just 
It's totally another option, and it's totally fine to live that way, yet our culture disapproves. I think what's happening in our culture is they're not disapproving to, to being single. I think there's something about us as humans that we want to avoid, and I think that's that deep-down feeling of loneliness that we experience. And I think it's something that for single people, it's that much more greatly amplified because in marriage, we still experience loneliness, but we can hide behind our marriage. We can hide behind that. And, and for single people, they, they, they don't have anything to hide behind, right? And so, so what they're doing is they're experiencing on a regular basis that feeling of loneliness. And, and, and wanting to find that one is oftentimes what it comes down to. I know when I was single, I was always on the search for that one. Um, had I have known it before, it would have changed things. Because the one is not Jerry, it's not my wife. The one is God. God has placed it in our hearts to desire him. That feeling of loneliness that we're all born with, from the fall, from way back in the Garden of Eden, that's something that we all have, and that's something that we all crave, and I think marriage is a front to that in our culture. And so, so for our single people, there's, there's a powerful trial going on on a daily basis for them in our culture, and that's something to recognize. That, that trial that they're going through keeps them from persevering in their faith. We see our youth, uh, again, growing up in this era that we've never seen before, with the technology that we have, and with what's at their fingertips. Back in the day, when we wanted to learn, we learned from a teacher, from a parent, from an uncle or auntie. Um, now, we learn from just a few clicks on the internet, and there we have it. And, and, and so, there's so much that our youth are inundated with that they, they don't know where to begin um, to seek their identity, to find their identity, who they are. Facebook and Instagram and all these other sources have given them options and alternative identities to be able to define who they are, uh, when in fact we are defined and identified in Christ and in Christ alone. And so that is a huge trial for our youth that keeps them potentially from persevering in their faith. And then we see here, for those who just recently graduated or, or are in college now, the trial that comes of separating from your family and experiencing freedom, which I know for many of you, you'd say, how is that a trial? That's like the coolest thing ever, right? But the reality is it is cool at first, and then it becomes challenging. Here's why. You're experiencing areas and, and aspects of life that you've never experienced before. You're experiencing freedom. You're experiencing yourself in a new context. And while it's really fun and really exciting, it's also very challenging to your faith. My personal testimony is that my first year of college was my weakest year of faith ever. I was attending a, a college campus ministry. It wasn't a Sunday morning church. It was just a campus ministry. And, and I decided I didn't want to go to church that first year, and I kind of used that as my alternative. Um, turned out that, that, that while that's helpful, that's a supplement to what we experience here as a church family. And that's something that, for me, again, was my weakest year of, of faith that I can remember. Um, and for that very reason, I wasn't a part of a larger church body where I came to worship together. Um, where, where we came together to, to um, hear God's word, to take communion together. Um, and, that's, and that's a part of what we are to experience. And so just as an encouragement for you, um, for you younger ones heading out to college or for you coming back from college right now, um, that's, a, that's a big part of, of what you're going through in your stage of life. And that's a big piece of the trial that you might be going through um, that you need to be aware of, that you need to persevere through. And so whatever the trial is um, for each of us, we need to be intentional about keeping in mind that trials work hard to keep us from persevering from our faith. That trials work hard to keep us from our faith in Christ. And so that's our first point that we've seen today. And, and so I know while all of this can sound rather bleak and somewhat hopeless, um, I assure you there is hope. And so let's, let's ask the second question today. That with all the trials we face in our culture, what is it that encourages us to persevere? 
What gives us endurance for our faith in Christ? And we'll see here in the second point in your notes that the perseverance of fellow believers encourages us to also persevere. While trials seek to discourage our faith in Christ, the endurance of others encourages our faith in Christ. Let's see how this unfolds in this next portion of Scripture. And so, starting at verse 6, Paul says, But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He's told you that you've always had pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we long to see you. And here's where where he emphasizes this piece of our main point. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live, since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Paul is extremely encouraged by the faith, by the perseverance, by the endurance of the Thessalonians. It says over and over, he's encouraged that now they really live. Now, because of their faith, they they live. And because they're standing firm, they thank God. There's this deep joy within Paul. And we see Paul doing this with several groups throughout the New Testament, receiving encouragement and joy for his own faith because of what is going on outside of him, because of the, the standing firm of others' faith. He gets encouragement from that. And now, we didn't really look at Paul initially. We just looked at the persecution of the Thessalonians. But let's stop for a moment and see that Paul was actually probably going through a whole lot more than they were. In fact, for a moment, pretend that you're Paul, okay? Put yourself into Paul's shoes. Here's what we're going to do, okay? You're going to be called to go on a missions trip to several major cities, okay? And you're only going to go with two of your close friends. And so first, you're sent out and you go to Philippi. And in Philippi, you and your friends are beaten and thrown in prison. Fortunately, you're able to escape from prison, but then you leave for Thessalonica, only to be chased out by an angry mob shortly after your arrival. Okay, so now you leave Thessalonica, now you're in Berea. And in Berea, Jews from Thessalonica, the same team that kicked you out of Thessalonica, now are following you here and stir up such an opposition in Berea that you have to leave there and go to the next city. So then you go to Athens. And you go to Athens and you're discouraged because of the idols, because of the godliness, godlessness that's in that city. You're discouraged. You're trying to share your, your, your faith. You're trying to share the gospel and nobody's receiving it. And so just when you think the worst is over, you head to Corinth and in Corinth, you get arrested. <laughs> so there's really a, not a lot of hope for, for what you're going through right now. And on top of all this, mind you, halfway through that trip, the two people that were with you, one left to go serve in another area, and your other friend who's with you, you sent him to go check out Thessalonica. That's Timothy. And so now at this point, you're all alone, literally, in the midst of all these trials. I hope this paints a picture for you of the trials that Paul was going through. Right? And so he's waiting patiently. He, he, he sent Timothy. He's sitting there waiting. Not sure if whether he's in, he's in Athens at this point or Corinth, but he's sitting there waiting. And then Timothy returns. And Timothy returns to him with what he calls good news. And when Paul pens this letter, when he says good news, he uses a Greek word there that he doesn't use anywhere else in his writings other than to represent the good news of Jesus Christ. In other words, this is the only time we see Paul using the phrase good news outside of the context of the gospel. He says, this is good news that you are enduring in your faith because I really needed it. Because I was going through a whole lot of pain. I was going through a whole lot of trials. 
And that's how it is for us today. Whether it's first century Europe or it's 21st century America, we need others to encourage us in the midst of our trials. For those of you who don't know, for the past two years, my wife and I have been struggling through a trial of infertility, wanting to get pregnant again. And, and it seems kind of weird because we have Rebecca, but that was not part of our plan. Um, we got pregnant like that, wasn't planning on it. I still had two years of school. I wanted to finish school. And then, hey, let's talk about kids there. No, God said, kid, right off the bat. Okay, so threw us into the fire, had Rebecca, and then, okay, a year after Rebecca's born, let's start trying again. Let's, you know, we've already had one. Let's keep the flow going and have more kids. And nothing. And at first, I, you know, Jerry was kind of discouraged, and I said, it's okay, you know, it'll, it'll, it'll work out, God, you know, God's good. And then a year goes by, and nothing. And then a year and a half goes by, and we get pregnant, and then we have a miscarriage a couple months later. And then at that point, that's when it really hit me. And that's when I said, okay, God, this is hard. This is hard. And this is where Jerry and I both got to experience the love and community and fellowship of all of you. We got to experience what it is that we're talking about today, the encouragement of one another, because we had one after another of you come and share with us your experiences of infertility, your experiences of miscarriages. And and I can tell you right now, I did not enjoy hearing those stories because of the pain that was going on, but at the same time, it brought a deep encouragement within me, and it gave me hope. And so thank you, because that was a big part of our journey and our peace. And, um, and it is a little easier to talk about this now, because if you didn't see my wife earlier, um, she does have a belly now, and there is a baby inside of her, and we're going on, I don't know, 16 weeks. I can't keep track of the weeks anymore, but we're very excited. Um, we're kind of past that point um, of, of, you know, unsureness, and so we're excited. But it's still something that we very much recognize was a heavy trial in our hearts. And we thank you for the encouragement that we received from all of you as we went through this past two, two and a half years. And in fact, I wanted to share with you um, another person's story. Someone who, while we went through a few years of trial, somebody who's actually experienced trials their entire life from birth. Uh, I have a video we're going to watch here, and I wanted to, um, as you watch this video, just, just let it just kind of sink in, the trials that you've gone through, and let, let his trials resonate with your trials. And so, um, do we have that video ready to go? Life are just a couple key principles, and the first thing that I've seen is to be thankful. 
It's hard to be thankful, man. I tell you, when I was eight years old, I, I sort of summed up my life and thought, I'm never going to get married. I'm, you know, I'm not going to have a job. I'm not going to have a life of purpose. What kind of a husband am I going to be if I can't even hold my wife's hand? It's a lie to think that you're not good enough. It's a lie to think that you're not worth anything. I love people come and say, how come you smile so much? And I'm like, well, it's, it's, it's a long story. <laughs> but it's very simple at the same time. You see, it's very hard to smile sometimes in life. There are things that happen that you don't know and you don't understand. And you don't know if you're going to get through it. You know, you go through your storms in life and you don't know how long the storm's going to be. And today I want to share with you some principles that I've learned in my life that you can use in yours. It's the hardest thing. But I realize I may not have hands to hold my wife's hand. But when the time comes, I'll be able to hold her heart. I don't need hands to hold her heart. You know, it is scary to know how many girls have eating disorders. It is scary to know how many people are just angry at life because of their situation at home and angry at others. It's scary to know how many people actually feel like they're worth nothing. Every single girl right here, right now, I want you to know that you are. You are gorgeous just the way you are. And you boys, you're the man. <laughs> All right, the video goes on, but I just, I just wanted to share a, a clip of him to give the picture um, I love that line when he got out of the water and he said, I can't feel my hands. <laughs> uh, but it's, it's that picture, Nick Vujicic, if you didn't catch his name, Nick Vujicic is someone who goes around sharing his testimony of being born with no arms, no legs. I got to hear him personally speak in Oahu. I went to a conference uh, a few years back, and that was a gift. What Nick shows us is, is so much, but what he shows us is the reality that we all face internally. That while he cannot deny the fact that he literally needs others to get through life, so do we. So do we. But we can, we can fake it. We can, we can get through. Um, we, we can use our arms and use our legs to get through. But we need one another. And that's, that's, that's the main um, point here that we're trying to, that we're trying to uh, capture. Um, that as a church body, we need one another. In fact, uh, Pastor Curtis, Pastor Jerry, and I are going through a book right now. And it's, it's a book that, that talks about this idea of, of doing church together. And in this particular chapter we're going through, um, the author um, is talking about what it is to journey together in our trials. And, and he uses this, this, this little point to talk about the dangers of journeying alone in our trials. Here's what he says. He says, I often say that the two most dangerous words I ever hear as a pastor are, We've decided. Those two words are the prefix to all kinds of pain. We've decided to leave the church. We've decided to get a divorce. We've decided we're not sure we buy any of this Jesus stuff anymore. The ubiquitous we've decided shows us the extent to which radical individualism has taken root in our churches. 
The word we, in this sense, is used to exclude oneself from relationship. It shows that a person has formed their identity and is making choices apart from any sense of union with the rest of the body. Decisions like these violate the unity of the body of Christ. You see, this is the antithesis of persevering. And here we've seen that it's the very perseverance, perseverance of those around us that encourage us also to persevere. And so as a body of Christ, we truly are dependent on one another. And so we've seen in our first point that trials work for one purpose, and that's to keep us from persevering in our faith. And that the second point is the perseverance of fellow believers around us encourages us to also persevere. And so, moving into our third point, while we can be encouraged by others to persevere, we want to ask the question, well, what is the source of our perseverance? What is it that ultimately allows us to persevere? And we'll see in our third point here that the source of our perseverance is prayerful dependence on God. We're able to endure together as we lift up one another to our Heavenly Father. And so follow along here at verse 10, um, sorry, verse 11 in chapter 3, where Paul then goes on to actually pray for the Thessalonians. So here's his prayer to the Thessalonians. And he says in verse 11, Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. A simple yet powerful prayer. This is the heart of our passage. We've seen trials. We've seen perseverance through trials. And now we see the source of our perseverance, the source of our endurance, and that is simply prayer. Wayne Grudem, author of one of the most popular theology books, um, defines prayer simply as personal communication with God. And he gives three reasons why God wants us to prayerfully depend on him. What happens in prayer? Here are the three things that happens. First is that prayer expresses and deepens our trust in him, our dependence on him. Secondly, prayer brings us into fellowship with God. It draws us closer to him. And thirdly, when we pray, the work of the kingdom is advanced. We get to experience one another being encouraged as we pray for one another. And so our passage today encompasses all three of these aspects of prayer and encourages us not only as the earlier church did, but also for us today to prayerfully depend on God. We're reminded to pray for others and encourage others to persevere amidst the trials of life. As we pray for others, we get to experience a connection in a deeper way than just a casual Sunday morning conversation could ever do. We're opening to the God of creation, depending on him as we endure through our trials together. And so how do we pray for each other? What does this look like to pray for each other? Um, Actually, a good place to start is with Paul's example right there, where he says that he's praying for the Thessalonians that they would increase in the two main things there are love and strength. Look at verse 12. He says, The Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else. And so we would pray that others, as they're going through trials, that God would increase their love. That they, rather than becoming bitter and angry about what it is they're going through, that God would increase their love, both for him and for others, or for whatever the trial experience is for them. And of course, for strength, as we see in verse 13. That Paul says, may he strengthen your heart so that you'll be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father. 
And so we pray for others that God would give those around us going through trials the strength to persevere through them. And at Harvest, we have so many opportunities to do this. We have so many opportunities to lift up one another in prayer. Um, Just last Friday night, actually quite a number of you came to our prayer fellowship. That was such a gift. We had an opportunity for people just to come and receive just prayer. People laying hands on each other and just lifting them up in prayer. Going, the people who are going through hard times, going through challenges. Uh, and that was just a gift. And so we have opportunities like prayer fellowship, which are usually once every other month or once a quarter. We have prayer circle, which is every week. And that's an opportunity for us to come together and lift up those in prayer. We have Sunday mornings where we could always pull somebody aside and lift up others in prayer. Um, I just had somebody pray for me earlier this morning, and it was great. Um, We have small groups. For those of you who are in small groups, that's one of my favorite parts of small group. After we have the fun, we have the food, we talk, we get to share our lives and then just pray for each other, and that is such a gift. If you're not a part of a small group, I highly encourage you to to, um, come talk to myself or Pastor Curtis and see if can can get you connected to someone. There's so many groups out there that are willing and, and open to embracing you and taking you in into a small group. And that's our heart is to have all of us in smaller communities here at Harvest. And of course, on our own time. We could always be praying for people on our own time at any point in the day. And that's something that um, my family and I really enjoy and celebrate. Um, actually, we have a devotional that we go through with Rebecca. It's a little de- uh, toddler's devotional. Keep it on the dinner table. And inside the devotional, our bookmark is actually the church directory, um, Harvest Church Directory. And so after we do the devotional with Rebecca, usually for a breakfast or dinner, whenever we're all together, then we'll, um, after devotional, uh, we pray for somebody within the church directory. And Rebecca always, you know, we can't even like finish the devotional before she says, okay, who are we going to pray for today? She's so excited. She loves praying for you guys. And it's just such a gift um, for us to be able to do that. And so that's one way to do it. Just get the directory, keep it somewhere visible and actually use it to, to pray for people. It just go straight through the list. Um, those whose last names start with A, B, or C get a lot of prayer. So I'm, I like that. But you maybe start at the bottom and work your way up, whatever. Um, anyway, yeah, so there's so many ways to pray. There's so many ways to lift one another up in prayer, especially through trials. And so that's what we've kind of captured today is this idea of trials, what it is to get through a trial. So first we've seen that trials ultimately serve to keep us from our faith. They keep, they, they keep us from persevering in our faith. But we've seen that as others persevere in their trials— that it encourages us to persevere in ours. And so there's this kind of this sense of unity as we walk together through our trials. And thirdly, we've seen that the source of all this perseverance comes from God and God alone as we depend on him in prayer. And, and so as we close this time today, I want to just let you just sit for a moment with just a, just a couple different questions. Just, just to reflect right now on, on, on how you're experiencing trials, or maybe how people around you are experiencing trials. And so, as I ask the question, just kind of ponder for a moment how, how this affects you. And the first question we have is, what trials are you currently experiencing that are keeping you from persevering in your faith? Maybe it's in marriage, maybe it's in singleness, or as a youth, as a young adult, in some capacity of life, what trial are you going through that's keeping you from persevering in your faith? And the second question in response to that is, who can you ask to pray for you as you endure such trials? It's really hard to do. I do not like asking for prayer when I'm going through a trial. Um, but just think about, who is that one person that you could ask for prayer? Maybe it's your spouse, maybe it's not your spouse, maybe it's just a friend, someone right here in this room. Maybe it's somebody far off that you need to call, but somebody that you can open up to in the trial that you're going through. And then on the flip side, Who does God want you to be lifting up and encouraging in the midst of their trials? 
We all know people who are going through hard times, going through trials. Who can you be praying for? Whether you just do it in the distance and quiet without them knowing, or maybe getting together with them and praying for them. Let, let God's Spirit guide you in that and what that might look like, but I want to close this time and, and just actually pray for you and, and use um, Paul's prayer for the Thessalonians to close this time out. Before I do that, I just wanted to share, uh, again, another way that we can pray for people. Uh, myself and a couple others, after this prayer, um, during the last, we're actually going to have two songs. That time we're going to have people standing up, and you can come up and actually ask for prayer right here and now. And we want to give you, at Harvest, as many opportunities for the body of Christ to come together and lift one another in prayer. So whatever that request might be for you, um, during our prayer, during this prayer, you feel free to, um, those who are going to be praying that I've asked, go ahead and stand up and just come to the corners. And then as the worship band comes up, they can um, start playing and we'll continue that prayer time for a while. And so let me just close this time in prayer and then enter into um, our closing time of worship.